Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Now we left off at the very end of chapter one and ready to start chapter two. And I, I just want to go back a little bit into the end of chapter one. Let's let's start at verse eighteen. I want to walk down through this because what he's doing is is laying out a time a timeline. And as he starts down chapter two, we have to make sure we have that established because chapter two now is going to pick it up where he left off in chapter one. So let's let's get the the, the timing down. So actually, back to verse seventeen, after the road to Damascus experience. He says very clearly, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go see any human being. I didn't try to spend time with another Christian so that they could tell me about Jesus. I went away. I immediately went into Arabia. Not a lot of Christians in Arabia, right? And then I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years of being isolated, self-imposed isolation. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Now, James, we've talked about this before. You have James and John, right? Sons of Zebedee. They were the ones whose mother came and asked Jesus, you know, Grant to my sons, they'll sit on your right and your left when you come into the authority in your kingdom. And Jesus says, well, only if they can drink the cup I'm going to drink. If they can only suffer as I'm going to suffer. And oh yeah, Jesus, we can do that. Well, you don't know what you're saying. And besides that, it's not mine to give anyway. So, ha ha ha. Right? So, they kind of walked into that one. So as it turns out, that James was the first disciple, first apostle first martyr in the Christian church. He lasted like two weeks after the resurrection. They got him real quick and killed him and then the fun starts. Now the persecution's out and they're really after Christians and so it got very, very difficult very, very quickly. So, but James, this James is the first one to go. But this James is always identified as the Lord's brother. Half-brother. Right? So, anyone who tells you that you know, Mary remained a perpetual virgin her entire life, that's silly. The very end of the Christmas story in Matthew, uh, before the wise men appear, it says that Mary, Mary and Joseph did not have relations until Jesus was born. Stating that they in fact did after he was born. And then there's at least two accounts in the Gospels that Mary and, it says, Jesus' brothers and sisters come. And of course it doesn't name the girls, but it names the boys. And one of them is named James. So Mary and Joseph had multiple other children, at least six. And Jesus now the oldest. They come to see Jesus. Um, apparently none of the other siblings accepted Jesus 
until sometime later. Now, we don't know the story of this James when he accepted his half-brother as Lord and Savior. Now, you can imagine that. How many of you have um, yeah, older, older brothers or sisters? Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to elevate them to you know, God status? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with you. They walk on water. Yeah, right. <laughs> Turn water into wine, then maybe I'll consider it. Yeah, I'm not sure, even then, right? Because you know this person, right? So, yeah, it, it just it would be the most difficult thing for your own family to accept you in that position. Remember Jesus when he returned to Nazareth? A prophet is not even welcome in his own hometown. Because they remember you as a child, and even if you were a good child, you can really never go back home and be effective. That's why it's a basic policy in the United Methodist Church that you know a pastor is never sent back to his home church. Yeah, I will never go back to be a pastor in Hollidaysburg. It just it's not gonna happen because some of them are still alive and <laughs> Trust me, I was not the angelic child that that, that, that Jesus was. So, uh, no, I mean, it's <laughs> that probably wouldn't make a difference, but it might. So, it's just the 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 basic policy. But this James now, half brother of Jesus, somewhere along the way, accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and believe it or not, became the leader of the Christian Church based in Jerusalem superseding Peter. So in the listing, we're going to see in chapter 2, the list is, the order is always important. James is listed first. Right? Peter, of course, given the keys to the kingdom, he's really important. John, Jesus' best friend, he's really important. Right? It's almost impossible to rank those three. They're virtually of equal status, but James is always listed first. So, yeah, that's, that's important as well. So, didn't see any of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now that's, God bless those early churches. I mean, you know, if word was out that you know, there was a guy, his whole design in life was to kill Christians, and then you're walking through town and you see a, a poster up, or a billboard, you know, Paul is coming to town this Friday. And, you know, come on out to the Colosseum and see Paul. And why would I do that? It's a trick. He's, 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 yeah, he's pretending to be one of us so that he get us all together and then the soldiers will surround us and, and then they'll feed us to the lions and that'll be it. I mean, come on. But apparently these guys actually believed it. They believed that Paul changed. He is a new creation in Christ. Now that's pretty remarkable. It would have, I think, taken most of us a... Yeah, we'll we'll send Justin. Yeah, you, you you go Friday night, check it out. Let let us know what you think. Maybe after two two or three times, yeah, we'll send Alan next. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 throw throw a couple of sheep to the wolves here and see what happens. And then then after a few few tests to make sure of the integrity of this, then, then the rest of us will be willing to go. What do you think? Who, who's for that? Justin first. I'm in. <laughs> 
but uh, it just. Thank you, Justin. Yes, I know. No problem. <laughs> Take one for the team, Justin. There you go. <laughs> you just get your heavenly reward that much quicker. So just, just be awesome and incredible. So that's kind of the background. And he does it very orderly, very deliberately, because now he's going to start at that point and then walk us through some more history. So if nothing else, when you start doing the math on this, you're going to see that we are a good 18, 20 years into Paul being a Christian. Immediately, right? So this is he's bringing us up to speed with where he is now and establishing his credentials as the leader of the Gentile movement, shall we say. Now, chapter 2, 14 years later. You see? So we've walked through all that. Now, for 14 years later. So Paul is out doing his thing. And 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas. I took Titus also. So we have this, this timeline now. The, the point of what he's saying is that although Peter, along with the other apostles... And then Paul were called to preach to different audiences. The message is the same. Paul's word is the truth of the gospel. They were in unity of what that was. Okay? Which is critically important. If we had James, Peter, and John in Jerusalem with a different message than what Paul is sharing, and both are saying we are Christian... Can you imagine the confusion? Because there's nothing written at this point. It's all oral. Now, take that a step further. With the multitude of churches we have here in Bedford County, do we all have the same message we're sharing? <laughs> right? It's kind of a spectrum, isn't it or not? And those on the outside look at that and well, you guys can't even get together. You know, why can't you share the common? Well, don't we all share, you know, Jesus is Lord. And there's, we have a lot. Of, when you really look at it, we have more in common than we do differences. That's good news. But boy, those differences are glaring. And that's what the uninitiated see in us, unfortunately. And that puts a thought in their head, well, you guys can't get along. Why would I want to join you? It, it gives us all a black eye. But there's, what Paul is saying throughout this, this whole first two chapters is there was a uniform message shared. Whether it was with Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. We all had the same message. Now, Paul adds the names of Barnabas and Titus who go on this later trip now to Jerusalem. Now, Barnabas is a, a great study in and of himself. We know a lot about Barnabas. And quite simply, he is the nicest guy you could ever meet. Just a sweetheart of a guy. His nickname, for crying out loud, is Son of Encouragement. Oh, isn't he nice? Right? He's, just, he's just a real nice guy. Because that's what he did. He, was, he encouraged everybody in the faith. Not a discouraging word. I mean, he's out on the range somewhere, right? He just was that kind of guy. Now, Barnabas and Paul hook up for the first missionary journey. So this is before, in between these two times. By the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, in that 14-year period, Paul and Barnabas are hooked together on this missionary journey, traveling around together. Now, 
interesting dynamic. Um, they're, they're, you know they're bringing back the odd couple to TV? Can't wait to see this because it looks really, really good. Um, Paul and Barnabas were the original odd couple. You have this son of encouragement, the nicest guy you would ever meet, that gets along with everybody. And Paul, the most stubborn, obstinate, <laughs> belligerent, difficult to get along with guy you would ever meet. I would love to have been on a boat with them. Yeah, just just to, to watch that dynamic because it just just comical. I mean, they were just night and day different. But I guess opposites attract. And what you discover as you read in the book of Acts, the very since Paul was so new in his missionary stuff, you know, called by God by Jesus, yes, but still new, not experienced. You see in Acts, Barnabas took the lead early, but. Barnabas, nice guy that he is, you know what he does? He looks at what Paul does, how he talks to the people, and realized God has really called this guy to, to be the preacher here. He, he, he's more effective than me. I'll take the back seat. This is where you all go, oh. <laughs> right? I mean, like I say, this is, this is who he is. You know, perfectly willing to take second fiddle here. Has no problem doing that. Does it willingly? He recognizing that that God had really anointed Paul to preach to the Gentiles. Now, something else we know about Barnabas, he is a cousin of John Mark. Now, we have confusion with James because we've got lots of Jameses running around. Believe it or not, there's lots of Johns and lots of Marks. He's named John Mark because we already have a John and we already have a Mark. We've got to distinguish this. Now, the funny part is John was basically the most, at that time, was the most common Jewish name. And Mark was the most common Roman name. So he's got both bases covered. You know, might be, you know, parents were Jewish and Roman or something. I don't know what, but you know, just very, very strange. So we call him John Mark to distinguish him from John, Jesus' best friend, headquartered in Jerusalem, and Mark, the physician that wrote the gospel, right? So he's not either one of those guys. This is a different guy. But Barnabas is a cousin of John Mark. Now, I already said Paul is a tough guy to get along with. Well, they had some fun together. Went on his first missionary journey, I guess didn't kill each other, so they decided to go on a second missionary journey. And we're going to see this in just a few verses. But literally on the dock, ready to get on the boat for the second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas going to go do it again. On the dock, they get into an argument. A fun, fun argument. Because John Mark, cousin to Barnabas, accompanied them on the first missionary journey. Barnabas initially took the lead. Paul, back him up. John Mark, the apprentice. A young guy. And by young, I indications are a teenager. 16, 17, maybe 18 years of age, but a young, young guy. 
so young in fact that they get going on this missionary journey and they're a couple weeks down the road and John Mark gets homesick. I miss my mommy. <laughs> it happens, right? And so he's so preoccupied with home that he's not effective in the field. So they just send him home. Yeah, Paul and Barnabas carry on and finish the journey without him. Now, years later, add another 10 years, 12 years on to John Mark, he's now 30, 28, 30. He probably won't get homesick. On the dock, Paul and Barnabas throwing their gear on the boat, John Mark shows up. Hey, cuz. Hey, Paul. I'm really sorry about the last time. But I'm older, I'm wiser, and I learned an important lesson from the last time I went away. I'm now ready to go with you on this next missionary journey. Will you take, take me with you? Paul? No way! <laughs> you disappointed me once, kid. You're not going to get a chance to do it again. I'm putting my foot down, and he crossed his arms, stomped his feet, and just dug in. What do you think Barnabas' reaction was? Nice guy that he is. That is his cousin, for crying out loud. Come on, Paul. I mean, it's look, he's grown, he's got facial hair and everything now. Yeah, he's, he's mature. You know, that was the past. Right? You like talking about being a new creation in Christ? Let's give the kid a break. But let's make it clear that this second time, if he messes up this time, then he doesn't get a third chance. I'll, I'll go along with that. Why not? No. He will not go. Yeah, well, thank you. All yeah, right. So, yeah, Paul, once he gets something in his head, you, you're not getting it out. And there they fought like cats and dogs on the dock to the point that the nicest guy in the world had to make a choice. Because Paul was not going to allow John Mark on that boat. Do I go with Paul? Or do I stay with John Mark and he and I now can go out on a mission journey ourselves. Barnabas decides to go with John Mark. I would too. Yeah, I like to think so. But now the $64,000 question is, what do you think Paul's reaction was? <laughs> Shaking his fist. You know, how dare you leave me? It's just like I say, just the oddest couple ever. And oh my gosh, just true acrimony on the dock. Now, there's a great Christian witness for you, right? It's like, oh my gosh. Take it behind closed doors, guys, will you please? But mad as a wet hen, Paul gets on the boat, and they're always training new guys. So on the boat now is Titus mentioned. So he was a compatriot for much of these missions. And now another new guy named Silas. So Paul didn't go by himself. He had a couple other guys that, you know, to train and took them along. And Paul and Silas, obviously, you know, we know some of their madcap adventures, winding up in prison together and getting ready to get killed the next day and earthquakes and all that kind of fun stuff. And, you know, so that worked out pretty well for them. But, you know, for a long time, Barnabas and Paul would not speak. I mean, a long time. Fortunately, we have evidence that eventually Paul softened and reacquainted with both Barnabas and John Mark. He has some, some nice things to, 
to say. But for a long time, was pretty, pretty stubborn. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul places Barnabas as a minister equal to himself. So, I think he had an easier time doing that when Barnabas was in another country <laughs> rather than to his face, but it took him a while to kind of work through that. But at least in writing, he claims Barnabas had that kind of authority, equal to his own. So that, that was a real olive branch, extended. And again, eventually they did get, get together. Now Titus, we don't know a lot about him. Uh, there's a little, little letter in the back of your Bible uh, about Titus. Uh, now he's an ideal companion of Paul because Titus is a Gentile. Right? Paul is a Jew, former Jew, and a Gentile. Now there, there's a good odd couple there. You know, they would you know, be really good together. So taking Titus with him, and when I say Jewish, what I mean is uncircumcised, immediately makes the point that following the Jewish law is no longer important. That's the way they thought back in that day, right? That was the, the God-given sign, circumcision, that you're one of God's people. And now Paul is taking this uncircumcised guy and putting him in, in the preaching role, putting him in the role of, of you know, sharing Christ with others equal to himself. And uh, that, that spoke volumes to the audience hearing that. If you're going to a Gentile audience, we're crying out loud, be wise to take a Gentile evangelist with you, wouldn't you think? That was stroke of genius. Now, verse 2, critical verse. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. I went in response to a revelation. What, what is he talking about here? What's he referring to? That's not supposed to happen. What revelation is he talking about? It's not the book of Revelation. On the road to Damascus, yes. So, yeah, a direct intervention from Jesus himself. So, go back to verse 1, 1 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from, from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ. That's all he's doing in the first two chapters, is making the point of the authority he has received. I did not get this from any human being. I got this directly from Jesus. So I went to Jerusalem the second time in response to the revelation I have received from Christ. Paul is saying, I am independent of any human teaching. My authority is I'm able to share the truth of the gospel as effectively as James, Peter, and John. So the most interesting, wild part of all of this is Paul goes away for, for years and studies and spends time seemingly totally devoted in prayer just talking to Jesus for three years, goes to Jerusalem 
tells them what Jesus has revealed to them, and the, the three lead apostles look at him and say, that's exactly what Jesus told us. Now there's coordination for you, right? I mean, that's what you want. That was the, the, the confirmation that Paul was looking for. And now that's why they sent him with great confidence into the Gentile world. They didn't want to do it. So God has called this guy to do it. Fine, we'll send him because he's taking the same message. They would never have sent him if Paul had a different message. He says that he shared the message he received, the revelation he received from Jesus privately with the disciples, with the apostles, just to make sure there was you know, no, no way anybody could say that, well, you overheard somebody else say this or whatever. He immediately took them into a quiet room, closed the door, and shared it with them. He received it independently from Jesus himself with no human intervention and then had it confirmed by men, not the other way around. Verse 3. Do you see now the importance of taking Titus? Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek, even though he was a Gentile. So Titus is with him on this next trip to Jerusalem. And the, the apostles did not require Titus to be circumcised. They were really big on, you got to be Jewish first before you can become Christian. That was their whole gig in the early years. But when Paul shows up, okay, we, we understand now. That's not, not the way to go anymore. So that... Bringing Titus was probably the smartest thing Paul ever did. That made it now official, once and for all, that you no longer have to become Jewish to become a Christian. That solidified it. It became public policy at that point. Basically, James, Peter, and John, the pillars of the church, Paul calls them, no longer demand circumcision is necessary for salvation. That's huge. That was a game changer. Because up to that point, they tried everything they could to get you to become Jewish first. Any thoughts, questions on what we've done so far? Verse 4. Paul says that he was aware that some false prophets who joined his group to spy on him so that they could make Paul and the other believers slaves. What, what kind of slavery is Paul referring to? Legalism. Pardon me? Legalism. Yes. To make them, to convert them back to being Jewish. Say, this was an incredibly difficult time in, the, in our Christian history. It's amazing we ever made it through, human nature being what it is. Because you had a huge block of people who continue to insist, you've got to be Jewish first. You've got to be Jewish first. So you have to be circumcised. You've got to honor all the Old Testament laws. So basically, Christianity is nothing more than a slight variation of Judaism. When in fact, it is a completely different animal. So these false prophets were trying to enslave them into the law. 
into that legal Old Testament-y type stuff. And Paul says that. He didn't give in to that pressure. It would have saved him a lot of aggravation and conflict if he had. But he was compelled to maintain the higher truth. Look at what Paul does at the end of verse 5. He certainly implies that the, quote, truth of the gospel is either 100% or nothing. But he speaks of this freedom we have. What, what kind of freedom do we have in the Christian faith that they did not have in the Jewish faith? Freedom from all their laws. Okay, freedom from the law. Okay. From death. Right. Freedom from death. Keep going. We're really free. We don't have to keep um, sacrificing. Okay. Free, free from the sacrificial system, which is just kind of silly. Turn into a big barbecue in church. Yeah. No. Messy. Yes, and messy. Free to talk directly to God. Okay. Total access to God. That's a huge one. Free, like money free. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't cost you anything. This, you know, grace is 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 free. Still another one I'm searching for. Most of the ones you've named are the the negative ramifications of freedom. We're free from the bad thing. What's a good thing you are free now to receive? Spirit. Yeah. There's a freedom in the spirit. You see, when you get rid of all this, this nonsense, now you are free to be in the spirit, which will fill you and lead you to do the good thing. Not because it's a law that tells you you have to do it. It's because now I just want it. Right? Huge, huge difference. So Paul says that life under the law is slavery. Life of grace is freedom. And again, what he's been trying to do here is it make it sounds so simple for us, so commonsensical, but back then it wasn't. How can you have two equal components that are diametrically opposed to each other? <laughs> and call that a faith. How can you say it's it's fifty percent law and fifty percent Jesus? Not forty nine and fifty one, fifty fifty. That's what they were trying to do. And that's just silly, Paul says. You've got to pick one or the other, law or grace. Paul says, I'm recommending grace. <laughs> do that? Good. Um, is Messianic Jew, uh, is it called Messianic Jew? Uh -huh. Is that what that is basically nowadays? Where they kind of believe both? I had a friend in college that was, and I haven't covered it before. No, I, I, I think it is more than what they're saying. They're, they're like Paul. I used to be fully Jewish, really devoted to the Jewish faith, but now I'm fully Christian. Okay. So they're, they're just, yeah. Why are they just Christian? You would think. Because it's probably a, to the culture of Judaism yeah. instead of the religion of Judaism. Probably. I just didn't know if it's a practice. 
Like I say, I, I, I think it's it's okay. basically Christian, but there is still, I guess, a respect or a connection with Judaism. So that you know, they 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 see a lot of their yeah. You know, Paul is the evangelist to the Gentiles. They see themselves as the evangelist to to the Jews. Right? I used to be a Jew. I understand you. Now let me share Jesus with you. Yeah, I think. Pretty sure. They get more holidays. Yeah, really. <laughs> Home month of December off. <laughs> and then, of course, there's Rosh Hashanah. Right? Yeah. No, good. Good question. But, yeah, and we still... Christians still... We don't call them Jewish laws, but we still like to make up laws. We still want to revert back to that. We like laws, but at the same time, we hate laws. You know, teenagers, give them a, a rule. Oh, I'm going to break that as soon as I can. That's my mission in life, right? And, you know, that's the way we still are. We're really mixed up. You know, we, we love the law because we like the direction. Just put it in a box. I can handle that. But by the same token, don't you dare tell me what to do. We were as mixed up as they were back then. But in the Christian church, we absolutely cannot allow that law-making to start to snowball here in the church. Because you know, once we get one law, we'll make another, we'll make another. And pretty soon, there's going to be a dress code. They're power hungry. Yep. Pretty soon to be no no children under the age of six, eight, or ten in the church. Our church is like that. They just make up rules like that. There's you know, you'll make up rules about parking, you'll make up rules about everything under the sun. Rules, 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 rules. Where is the grace in that? That's what Paul would say. So we we really do have to hold ourselves back from essentially becoming Jewish again. We think we would like it. Because then everybody knows. Make a rule. Make it universally known. Sounds so easy, doesn't it? Paul says that is the opposite of the Christian faith. Don't do that. We operate by grace and grace alone. Makes it a lot harder but then we get to have lovely conversations like we're having tonight, right? It just works out. So you can't have two essentially incompatible driving forces as the basis of your religion. It's just silly. You can't say Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays I'm going to be full of grace and Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays I'm going to be law and Sunday I'll be... 50-50. An equal split, exact number of minutes devoted to each. Can't be done. Because you just can't have two most important things driving your religion. Most important means there can only be one. But they were back then trying to have two. And it took them years to figure this out. We have it so much easier today. <laughs> we really, really do. So here in verse 5, Paul keeps talking more and more about the truth. Maintaining the truth. 
Now, big question of the day. What's so important about the truth? Why are we making such a big deal about the truth? There's only one truth. It's either truth or it's a lie. Okay. And lies come in every color and shape and size. So there's one truth and a million lies. But many lies. Yeah. Shades of gray. <laughs> so what would happen if you did not have the truth? If you don't know the truth, how are you going to bring somebody else to the truth? Okay. So if you don't have the truth, then what you're sharing is... Yeah. Truth is pretty important, right? Now, follow-up question. Let's talk percentages. How, how, would, you, how would you be with 95% truth? 80% truth. Pardon me? Okay, that sounds more like a hundred zero. Okay. Either hundred percent or it's not. Are are you proposing that as a biblical principle? Thank you. Good answer. So I mean, ninety nine point nine percent truth is still not not the truth. Yeah, there's a little shade of lie in there. And you see, the problem is mixing the truth and a lie. Peggy, as you're sharing that, the other person has to figure out which is the truth. Because that's not what I heard from this person. Right. I heard something different. So then you combine those two together, which essentially cuts in half the truth. <laughs> when, you, when you combine two other dissimilar thoughts, you keep narrowing it down to virtually nothing, whittling away. Now, I, I've wanted to do it. I, I, I doubt if I can, but I would like to have a sermon. I mean, an actual sermon where only 50% of it is true. And, but you have to figure out where the lies are. Would, wouldn't that be fun? Because everybody would be, is, is that it? Was that true? No. Wouldn't that be great? better just have a disclaimer before. Yeah, they'll have to be. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely let people in on this before I, I, I preach it because it would be hymnals thrown at me about halfway through. But, you know, I don't know how weathermen get away with it. They're not even right 50% of the time. And we, you know, you know but I know. But I, I equate that with, with, with preaching. I mean, how could... How could, how could you, you share the truth of the gospel and not share 100% of it? It, it? it makes absolutely no sense at all. Because whatever is not truth is by definition lie. And again, two opposing factors involved in what you're trying to do. They cancel each other out. When you appear in court as a witness, go back to your old Perry Mason movies. Perry Mason was an, was an old <laughs> lawyer guy back then. <laughs> Young people. <laughs> you can go home and Google it anyway, though, aren't you? So... Matlock. Matt, okay, well, Matlock is the is the newer, you know, non wheelchair bound version of of, of, of 
1880. That was Ironside, right? Yeah, Perry Mason turned into Ironside. So, but you raise your right hand, and what do you say? I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, now that that's incredibly biblically based, right? Because again, if you tell 99.9% .9 of the truth and we have to figure out what the lie is, then your testimony is useless. And that's why it is a crime to lie in court. Unless you plead the fifth. Well, but then you're not saying anything. But if you share information and it's a lie, you could be brought on charges of perjury. If you're caught at it. Yes. <laughs> That's really good. So the, you, what you promise to do is tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The point of everything Paul has said so far is, quote, so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. End of verse 5. That's all he's trying to do. Now remember the problem. All these crazy thoughts have infiltrated into these Galatian churches and we're changing the faith. Paul is trying everything he can to bring it back to where it belongs. So everything he's writing, sternly as he is writing, is only designed so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. Wouldn't you like the truth of the gospel to remain in you? Because if it's not, you have a lie. Right? If there's a little bit of lie in there, you're done for. Verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external experience. Those men added nothing to my message. What in the world is he saying there? He's obviously fired up about something. Who's he talking about and what's he saying? Well, some people think they're important and they really aren't. Okay. By their own definition, they're important and they project themselves that way. Okay. Whether they're circumcised or not. Does it matter? What else is he saying? God shows no favoritism? What's that, Bill? It says all of you who are baptized in Christ's name have been clothed, neither free people nor males or females. You are all the same in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ, and you are Abraham's descent and the heir of God. The end. Right? So there's no differentiation. So don't, I mean, does it not say in Scripture? Paul says, you know, you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, what's what's he referring to though? The, those men added nothing to my message. What's he mean by that? Well, I think it goes back to where it says the scripture states that people, the whole world is controlled by the power of sin. Therefore, a promise based on faith, Jesus Christ would be given to those who believe. All right, so that's the essence of the message. So these guys who kind of elevated themselves that weren't able to add any other layers, any other facets to the essence of the gospel that Paul had already presented. 
And again, the problem is that these other evangelists coming through are basically replacing what Paul had taught them, the truth Paul had taught them, and twisting it. Not, not by evil intention, just because of their own ignorance and not understanding. They were trying to bring all these Jewish laws back into practice and all that nonsense. So they're not adding anything to the message. If they're not adding anything to the message, then why are you listening to them? Listen to me. <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. You're trying to get to the truth. And if somebody is telling you something that doesn't add to the truth, or worse yet, subtracts from the truth, you need to be careful of that. So they're projecting one thing yet believing in another. More likely, yeah. They're thinking of it, trying, again, trying to do two things at one time. They're twisting thinking. It's, it's just, it's not going to work. Now, he's talking about you know, being important. What is the criteria for being important in God's eyes? Not, not human eyes, God's eyes. Believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus? Yeah. Following his word. Follow the word? Faith. Lots and lots of faith, right? Yep, keep growing in faith. What else would be important in the eyes of God? Believe. Believe? Stick with the word, whatever you do. Yep, because the word is the truth. Okay. Spreading the gospel. Okay, great commission. Get out there and don't keep it to yourself. Share it. So there's quite a list that we need to consider for ourselves. Not pointing a finger at anybody else, just for ourselves. And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. You know, I, I used you know, he uses the word important there. We could also just as well use the the terminology of you know what what would please God. I think that's a daily exercise we need to go through. What what do you want me today do today God that would please you? Not please me, not please Peggy. I try to please as much as I can, but you know it doesn't, doesn't always work out. So, what's going to please you, God? If I please you, hopefully a number of the rest of y'all will be pleased as well. But what Paul keeps repeating is, if it doesn't please you, tough. Ha, ha, ha. Right? We're here to please God. And if we're focused on the truth, what he's saying, that's not going to be an, uh, an issue. So we have to be very careful not to get caught up with, and those people who think they're so important, you know, do that so that they can get the praise of men as opposed to simply trying to please God. That's what's critically important. Because frankly, Jesus is the only one who's going to let us into heaven. Even Peggy can't do that. Wouldn't it be nice though? But you can't. Let's 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 learn about our limitations and stick with them, right? So, you it, the goal is to always, yeah. You know, when he talks about adding to the gospel, what he means is to help people to understand it better. These guys are not helping you understand it better; they're actually confusing you. So why are you listening to them? We have a need to worship. God and God alone. 
and not get concerned with external appearances. If you go back to 2.2, Paul refers to the Jerusalem leaders as those who seem to be leaders. It's kind of a little slight <laughs> he's giving them, right? They, they seem to be leaders. He's, you know, even though they agree, he's, and Paul's going to point out here in a few, uh, verse 11, you know, he's, he can't get along with Peter. He's, he's mad at Peter too. So it's not really sarcastic, but he's simply saying that, you know, they're not leaders of me, Paul is saying. I am on equal status with them because our message is the same. Even these leaders, James, Peter, and John, could not add anything to Paul's gospel. But it also means that they realized Paul has left nothing out. Right? So in the 15 days Paul was with Peter, there apparently was never a time when Peter says, well, you're close, but you need to add this. Or you've forgotten this component. There was none of that in 15 days. Now verse 8. Paul gives Peter credit for honoring his calling to be a witness for Christ. But in the same breath also gives himself credit. <laughs> That's kind of like Paul. Now we come across James and John again. So again, this is James and John... These aren't the brothers. This is James, Jesus' brother, and John, the other James's brother, son of Zebedee. Gets really confusing. It's a good thing we don't have many female names in here because nine out of ten of them would be Mary. And it really gets confusing. So and again, James, this James, became number one leader in the Christian church, mostly because Peter had to for lack of a better phrase, go into hiding. As the leader, the Romans were after him. Get the head and the rest will fall. So to protect him, they kind of hid him away for years. But you still need somebody to lead. So James stepped up to that and for my money, actually became a better leader than, than Peter did. He, he did more, more effective uh, Ministries in in the early these early years than than Peter himself did. Kind of neat. First, Ed. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. Now, here's a good question. Out of all the things that are critically important to the Christian faith, there's a lot. I mean, you just name a bunch of them. Why is remembering the poor the only factor noted? Cover so much. Like what? The poor in faith. I mean, poor destitute. I mean, you can be poor in many things. Okay. And it, it, it encompasses a, a big spectrum. So keep the big spectrum in mind. Mm -hmm. what, else do, what else does remembering the poor bring to your mind? Right. So when you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to Jesus. The poor are often the least. What else does remembering the poor mean? Service. Service. Just narrow it down to one word, huh? 
So serve. Um, what's that? The widows and the orphans. Right, which was really important in the early church because, you know, men for some reason died early. You know, it would certainly seem as though uh, Joseph, uh, Mary's husband Joseph, uh, died at an early age. He's no longer around. By the time Jesus starts his ministry, he's he's nowhere. To, his name is stricken from the record. He's gone. We can only conclude he died. So Mary's traveling around with the kids. So when we talk about serving the poor, got to make sure we define this properly, Gary. Does that mean we don't have to serve anybody else? No. Okay? So what it really means is you serve everybody, making sure that you don't exclude the poor. Exactly. Is that a better way to put it? That's a better way. Yes. Because we have a tendency to do that. And Scripture talks about that quite quite often. That yeah, Even in, in terms of our hospitality, it says, make sure that you extend hospitality to people who can't pay you back. The poor. Right? So you, you, you don't show hospitality to the, the rich and the affluent hoping to get something back from them, some favor or something in the future, right? You get no, no bonus points for that. You only get the bonus points for serving the poor for those who can't pay you back in particular. But that doesn't mean you exclude serving others. So you serve everybody, but make sure you're especially doing a good job of that with the poor. Can you think of anything else remembering the poor would mean? It would seem to me what, what, what Paul is saying is the way we treat the poor is a direct reflection of our relationship with Jesus. Aren't they the ones Jesus was always with? So remembering the poor does not mean when you see a poor person, you hand them a buck and pat them on the head and say, have a good day. I mean, churches are notorious for that. And actually creating a welfare mentality. We're not really helping by doing that. Because now we realize it requires so much more of us, so much more time, so much more effort to find solutions to poverty. Money is not the answer to poverty. Educating the poor, that would be helpful. Right? So rather than just give a fish, let's teach them how to fish. Right? So that they can help themselves. That's really what we need to be trying to do. And it's hard to do with a group. I, I am never going to put an ad in a paper. You know, all poor people in Bedford County come to church and I'll, I'll help you all at one time. Be, be like herding cats. Right? So that's not going to work. That's what I say. It, it takes a lot more time. That means one-on-one. -on -one. 
that you buddy up with a person for probably weeks. But then get that person on their feet, then you move on to the next one. You do it one, one at a time. Now remember at the end of Romans, Paul was very concerned about an offering that he was taking up for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Remember that? He was concerned that A, the Gentiles would give, and B, the Jews would receive it. Remember all that? But Paul did, in fact, keep his promise to remember the poor. That's obvious, because Romans is much later. The instruction he got from the disciples was, whatever you do, just remember the poor. Apparently that meant that they understood he knew every. they had all things in common. They didn't need to reiterate anything. After all that time he spent in Jerusalem with them, you got it. You have all the basics. But whatever you do, just don't forget the poor. And Paul obviously did that. He's a missionary to the Gentiles. He nonetheless ministered to Christians in Israel. Those former Jews. And he did it frequently. A lot of his letters and we see in these missionary journeys how he's making up collections for those in in, in the, the greater Jerusalem area. And there's our stopping point for the day. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.